media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Exodus 12. In this pathway to the cross we've been in the Old Testament, probably the majority of the time looking at the prophecies, looking at different things in the Old Testament that would tell us of what would happen in the New Testament. And this morning we continue to connect the dots. And uh, speaking of connecting the dots, did you ever do that as a child? Did you ever uh, have one of these? You know, sometimes they were quite simple. And, and, and it really taught two things. One is the order of numbers. You would start at one, two, three, four, five. And so for somebody young, it, it's identifying the number and connecting the dots. The second thing is it allowed you to draw some things that normally maybe you weren't gifted to draw, but, you know, you connect the dots here and all of a sudden, well, you've got a bird. Now, if you just did that freehand, for most of us, would your bird look like that bird? Probably not. And so there was two great things that we would get out of this whole connecting the dots. And I thought it would be interesting this morning because we've been connecting the dots, Old Testament, New Testament, and connecting the dots before we come to this table today. Uh, this morning, to just do a little competition. You know, this afternoon at the Easter celebration, we're going to do boys against girls. So I said, well, you know, let's do boys against girls this morning. And so, girls, we're going to give you an opportunity. We're going to put up here uh, in just a second uh, a blank dot to dot. And, and what is that? You might want to take a guess. You have to be one of the, the ladies. Very good. Whoever said elephant, or several of you said elephant, that's good. And, and, you know, you can start to see some of the trunk and some of the different things there once you get there. But, you know, that would have been, that was a good guess. That really was. And you probably based it just on that little bit that you knew. And then everything else, you're going to have to kind of connect the dots to figure out the rest of the story. Okay, guys, let's see if you're up to the challenge. What do you think this is? Any guesses? Any guesses? Car. Whoever said car was right. You were pretty certain and affirming of, of that. When you did connect the dots, you know, sometimes it was like even before you got from one to two to three, it kind of made sense. Others were like that first one, and you're just sitting there going, okay, I don't know what this is going to be. And folks, when we pick up the Word of God, Sometimes I, I know it can be like that first picture that, you know, we're going, ah, all I see is this little bit and it could be an eye of a well. It could be an eye of an elephant. It could be any kind of eye. But then you start to connect the dots. And as you connect the dots, that shape begins to form. And all of a sudden you see a trunk and all of a sudden you see big ears and you're going, this is an elephant. I would challenge you that the more we get into the word of God, it's much less like the first picture and much more like this picture. The deeper that you dive, that you dive into God's Word, the, the more we begin to see it really is what we say all the time. God created, man fell. The rest of the Bible is the redemption story until that total restoration that we get there in, in Revelation when he talks about our time in heaven and how we will spend eternity with them. The Bible is really, really in one way simple, not simplistic, but simple, when we see that it truly has this one aim of teaching us how our Father in heaven, mighty God, creator God, has provided for us a redeemer, a savior, a rescuer. 
This morning we're going to look a little bit deeper into how does that come about. And, and I would imagine that many of you, as some have grown up in the church all your life, and others have been a part of a church uh, for a, a big part of your life, but even if you're brand new to church, especially if you're brand new to, to CS and, and Cornerstone here, there's one redeeming thing that we talk about week after week after week. In fact, I go home all the time to Carly and said, I just feel like uh, no matter if we're in the Old Testament, New Testament, this, that, or the other, we're always this one message, the gospel, the hope that Christ brings into our life. I said, I hope I'm not boring everybody, but then I'm reminded of what they said in the New Testament, that if we don't have this gospel, if we don't have the death, burial, and resurrection in Christ, we have nothing to preach. And so, guys, whether we're talking about family life, whether we're talking about marriages, whether we're talking about finances, there are a lot of things that don't always seem like, you know, this, this bedrock of spirituality as far as the cross and the gospel. I promise you, the bedrock of all of those things is the gospel. And so this morning, we're as we begin to connect these dots, uh, we're going to look at, before we take the Lord's Supper, we're going to look at how uh, in the Old Testament... Exodus chapter 12, there was this feast that God began, this uh, religious, if you want to call it a ceremony, you could call it that, but this religious practice that would happen once a year as a reminder of what God did when the death angel passed over the people of God. Go back to Exodus 12, starting with verse 23, and look what it said. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians... And when he sees the blood's blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons for how long? Forever. In other words, he establishes this where maybe you're familiar with that story of how uh, the people of God were in captivity in Egypt and how God brought about a deliverer. And he did all these different plagues and the Pharaoh kept on going back on his word and, and finally this last plague comes and it was totally convincing to the Pharaoh because it hit him right where his heart was. And God established there in the Old Testament for the Jewish people, his people, this Passover. And, and so that they wouldn't forget it, every year they would do this Passover feast. They, they would have a time when they would think about the lamb. They would sacrifice a lamb and they would look forward to that every year as a reminder of God's faithfulness. I do believe that along the time that they did put kind of connect the dots and say, okay, this Messiah that God has also promised, he is the Lamb of God. And remember back in our Advent series this year, we looked at how the Lamb of God that John the Baptist proclaimed and had all this Old Testament background, how the Lamb was promised. And so the Jewish people were connecting this concept of this lamb, Jesus, and how he was going to be the final sacrifice. I don't know that they knew it completely, but I think that they could connect the dots enough to understand and connect the two. And so for centuries, Jewish families would remember the Passover with a cedar, the meal at the time of Passover. And when you look at the Gospels and you begin to look through, Jesus was very much an observant Jew. He is his disciples. They had the Passover. Three times we see it in the Gospels because uh, they're reflecting his three-year ministry. And we see that he observed this every year. And we come to the place where the end of his ministry, he's about to go to the cross. 
And what do we find? We see this cedar mill. We see this Passover mill to the point where he tells the, the, the disciples to go and prepare this Passover. And they gather together and they're kind of doing what they've done and their forefathers had done for centuries. And then this happens. Matthew 26, starting with verse 26. Okay, so get this mindset. You've done something the same way over and over and over again for centuries. And you were told exactly how to do it. And as I sit down for this Passover meal, now with Christ, look what he does. Verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after the blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink of all of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. It's hard for you and I to, to know how startled they might have been. Now, he used bread and he used a cup, and that would have been a familiar part of, of some of the cedar meal that they were having at Passover, along with a lot of other things. So it wasn't so much the instrumentation that he was using, but it's the words that he was saying and Never before had they heard, okay, take this cup, and as you drink it, understand that this is my blood that's poured out for you. As he broke the bread, this is my body, and I give it to you. I can only imagine that in one way that they were kind of scratching their spiritual head or their religious head or their familiar head of just going, okay, what is he doing? And like so many times, Christ had already told them that he must die. And they were never accepting of that. And even in this moment, I imagine that there was probably a a little bit of pushback. And yet, as Jesus said these words, it was with great intention. Jesus was connecting the dots. Over and over, he said, I must die. And over and over, they kind of reject that whole thought. And yet, in a week's time, he would die on a cross. In many ways, it's like the two pictures that I showed you before. And one, it's kind of hard to figure out until you connect 100, 200 dots. But in many ways, it's like the second one. That in the simplicity of of the Bible, that it really is. God created. We fell and rebelled against him in in our sin. If we were going to have a life with God, he's holy. We were now sinful people that he was going to have to provide a way for our sins to be forgiven. The Bible makes it very clear that we could not work for that. We looked at that last week. What are you going to do with this one who's called the Christ? And while we were not, remember the rich young ruler last week? He thought maybe he could just be good enough. And we said it was insufficient. And he walked away sad because he was counting on himself and rather than counting on God's Redeemer. Uh, complex, yes. Simple in many ways, I, I would say yes. And this morning as we connect those dots, the, the Bible tells us that there's really three things that we do as we come to this table. The first one is to reflect back to what Christ has done. And if you want to go all the way back to the Passover and kind of see how God is linking Old Testament to New Testament, prophecy to fulfillment, that's wonderful. That, that should excite our heart. But then there's a second thing that the Bible says, that after Christ had his ministry and ascended to heaven and and churches were starting to develop and the gospel was being spread, as they were forming churches, he said, 
okay, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Just like the Passover that they did it as good Jewish people year after year. He, he said, I want you to do this. The Bible never tells us how often we are to do it. There's not a proclamation, do it every week, even though we make it available for you every week. Corporately, we only do it about you know four or five times a year. At the last elders meeting, we talked about maybe increasing that to, to six or nine or ten or once a month. Because it's an important part of the life of the body. Because we put our focus on what Christ has done for us. But as we do this, the Bible says in the New Testament, as they establish this within churches, they said, examine yourself. In other words, not just look back, but look in. The church began to grow and observe the Lord's Supper together. And, and there came a time when, maybe it was like us with the national anthem, have you ever noticed that, you know, especially if you're a sports person and you sing it often because you go to a lot of sporting events, that even though you believe it, even though it's kind of meaningful to you, that it becomes almost casual? And yet in times of national threat, in times of war, you can say that, sing that same song and what happens? It's like there's an extra beat. It's like your heart's bigger. It's like now when you sing those words, it has depth, it has meaning. It's fresh and it's relevant and it's new. In the same way, when we have the Lord's Supper, some of you who maybe are older in life and you've been doing this for 40, 50, 60 years, in one way, I'm not saying that it's just routine, but I can imagine that... There isn't part of anything that we do over and over and over again that it become more routine in our lives. And so the Bible says, look in. Now, there was another purpose for that. Paul was addressing one church in particular, the Corinthian church, the, the church that had settled there in Corinth, and, and they had begun to abuse the Lord's Supper. And Paul makes a couple direct uh, kind of points there when he says, okay, some of you are... Uh, you're not allowing others, you're not looking out for others, and you're wanting to serve yourself, but but not others. And so your own selfishness is coming through. Others, he said, you come and you get drunk off the wine? Or you get you fill your belly with this? He said, do you not have food at home? And I've always wondered about that because, okay, if they had these little crackers, I told, I told him this morning, I asked Ricky, how many of those little crackers would you have to eat before you got full? And yet that was the accusation, one of the accusations that Paul makes, that they had just lost the spirit of it, the mindfulness of it. And so he says, look in. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. But in following instructions, I do not commend you, because you've come together, and it's not for the better, but for the worse. That doesn't sound like a nice little affirming thing that he writes to the church, but he says, I can't command you. In fact, when you get together, sometimes it's for the worse instead of the better. But look what happens. He gives some strong warnings and then strong instruction. Look at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so to eat of the bread and the drink of the cup. 
This examination could be a lot of different things. He doesn't give us a, a list of questions. Maybe a few of those questions that we could ask, though, are something like, have I truly placed faith in Jesus Christ? Not just do I attend church, but have I truly put all of my faith in the rightness of Christ that he died for me so I can be right now with a holy God because of what Christ did and I place all of my faith in him and his work. It would be part of the examination. Another one is to examine, am I living in in an active pattern of sin? How many of y'all sinned last week? Pretty much thought that. And yet there, there is a difference as far as just our mentality and our mindset, not in our position in Christ, but at least in, in the fervency of, of, of our attitude and everything, of having our sinful life and fighting with flesh and living in a pattern of sin where it's repetitive and there's just something that has victory over us. And Paul says here, examine your life. I shared with a couple of guys this morning, Carly, I hope that was okay, uh, I was not the best husband yesterday. I was do, we were doing some stuff up here at the church, and uh, one of the jobs was much messier than I thought, and I was frustrated. If I was typing it out on the computer, capital letters all the way through with some exclamation points at the end. And so Carly comes over to help, and where does all my frustration go? So I apologized when we got home. I apologized again last night. <laughs> Not because she was cold or distant or anything. That she, she was fine. And we're on the way to church this morning. And I know we're going to come to this table. And one more time I said, Carly, I acted like a jerk. Now she did affirm every bit of that. You know, <laughs> She is a truth teller. She didn't walk me down, oh, I really wasn't that bad. No, you really were a jerk. <laughs> so it could be something, I don't want to say as simple as that, guys, but the Bible says look in. Not only do we look back and connect this to God's eternal plan, but, but we look inside and we examine ourselves. Truly, have I put my faith in Jesus Christ? Am I a Christian? Because if you're not a Christian and you're here and you're with us every week and you know you're you're thinking about what the gospel says and yet you haven't made that decision and and, and trusted that in your life, this table we're not trying to be mean, but but you're not to come to this table. This is for Christians alone, and we don't do this in an act of superiority. No, by grace have we been saved, and yet God very much is very serious about how we approach this both in our belief, but also in our lifestyle. And so this morning, before we come to this table, we're, we're going to give you an opportunity to, to have a, a short time of prayer, to examine your life, to confess. And maybe it's going to be turning to your spouse and confessing there. Maybe it's going to be just before your Lord saying, okay, God, I, I've allowed this pattern to come into my life, and, and I just don't want it. I, I don't want to approach your table until I come and I just confess that to you. So we look and we look in. If we do that in the most honest of ways, look what it says there in verse 31. But if we judge to ourselves, what? Truly, that means honestly, if we, if we truly have looked in and, and we've been truthful about that, 
we would not be judged. We can come to this table. God says it's a matter of your heart. So we look back and we connect it to God's eternal plan. We look in and we examine ourselves. But here's the great thing that God says. Every time we come to this table, I want you to look forward. I truly want you to connect the dots from eternity past to eternity future. When it comes to illustrating those connect the dots, those first kind of pictures that we had up there. You know, maybe we're kind of in a little bit of a wonderment, especially on that first one. Second one seemed like pretty easy. That's a car. But the elephant could have, you know, that could be a whale, could be an elephant, could have been something. But as we connect it, one, two, three, four, five, six, and went all the way through, let's say there's a couple hundred dots. Most of us would be able to look at that completed picture and say, okay, now I know without a doubt that it's an elephant. In the same way, in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, God gives us a picture of what will happen. He gives a vision to John. And he says, write this down. He said, I want you to write it down because he knew that you and I would be here in 2023 in a world that we're going, oh my goodness, who's in control? And that we would need encouragement for our souls and we would need encouragement for our minds. God, you're still in control. You're sovereign God. Your your plan for the ages, you're still working that. And so he gives us a picture of what to look forward to. Back in Corinthians 11, 26, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until when? Until he comes. In the same way that the Passover, they said, do this every year so you don't forget what has happened and you can look forward to God's faithfulness in the future. He says, you keep on doing this until the return of Christ. And so we go back when Jesus established the Lord's Supper and we see a similar connection. Matthew twenty six twenty nine. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus tells us that this is just the beginning of a great feast that one day we will share in the very presence of God himself. Look at Revelation 19 as we prepare to come to this table this morning. Revelation 19, verse 6 and 7. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Now look what happens on this occasion. Go down to verse 9. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. When we look back, well, oftentimes we call this was the Last Supper. And it was the Last Supper that Christ had at that time with his disciples. But it's not the Last Supper, folks. There will be a supper coming. By the grace and by the provision of God, as he makes us his bride, he comes and there's going to be a great celebration. Our two daughters, when when they were married... Uh, you know, we had the reception afterwards. 
And as much as I enjoyed the actual ceremony when they said I do to each other, and uh, you know that was special, and it was it was a covenant that they made one with another. I really did enjoy seeing everybody afterwards celebrating what they had just taken witness of. My girls were out there with their friends, and they were dancing, and they were doing all these different things, and there was joy because of what had taken place that day. And God says here that there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb, and that you and I, if we've put our faith and trust in Christ, that we will sit at that table. He says, these things I tell you because they're true. You can put confidence, you can put your faith, you can put your hope in that. When we go back to when Jesus established the Lord's Supper, it tells us that they had already eaten the supper, and verse 30 says that then they sang a hymn. And I don't know if you've ever participated in a, in a Passover cedar. It's really kind of cool when you have a, a, somebody who's come to know Christ and they connect that Old Testament and the New Testament. It's really, really kind of cool when that happens. You begin to see all these things that seem like they were very Old Testament and you see how Christ fulfilled them and how it's just the story of the ages. And in most of those Passover cedars, after they close out the meal, they do sing a hymn. Just like it said that Jesus and his disciples did. And most of the time, you will sing Psalms 116 through 118. Picture this. If you've never pictured this in your mind before, they've had the Passover cedar. Jesus has given new instructions to point to what he's about to do on the cross. And as they close, they're singing a hymn. Now, tradition would say... That one person, usually the father, the leader, would sing that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Jesus singing this psalm? And the way that you usually responded is that there would be parts that, that the person would sing, and then everybody else that's there would say, Hallelujah! This affirmation of, Hallelujah! We're in agreement! Can you imagine Jesus singing that song and you joining in? Hallelujah. And yet one day I believe that's what's going to happen. And, and so we look back and we connect the dots and we see that God is working his eternal plan. We look in so we can say, I'm going to come and I have no worth of my own, but I do want to come knowing that I've connected myself in faith to the work of Jesus Christ. I, I trust Totally in him. And now I want to live for him. And so I examine my life and, and see if there's patterns of sin. And, and I confess before a holy God, God, will you help me? Will you empower me through your spirit to live righteously? And then we look forward. Because one day, I, I don't know, I don't know. But I'm not thinking that when we get to this marriage supper of the Lamb, that, that it's going to be a little cup and a little way for I. People ask me, is there going to be Krispy Kreme in, in heaven? I said, yeah, right beside the Chick-fil-A. <laughs> of course. We don't know what's going to be there. I don't think we'll have bodies that need to have food. But he uses this table and he uses this time of eating together because 
Isn't that some of the most intimate times of our lives? Christmas, Thanksgiving. Carly's worked hard. She's prepared. And then we got the kids and the grandkids around. And I promise you, she said, I don't even have to eat now. If I just back off and just watch my kids and their kids, I'm good. And this is why I believe that even though I don't know that we're going to need food in heaven, he said, no, gather around the table. So this morning as you come to this table, look back. Recognize that a sovereign and providential God is connecting the dots through the ages of his plan. See, if you have a part of that plan, have you trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord? Examine your hearts and your lives. It may be as simple as reaching over your spouse and just squeezing their hand. Sorry, sorry. And then look forward. That as we, I mean, can you imagine again what it would have been like to hear Jesus sing and just to shout out, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. With that in mind, Prepare your hearts now. And, and the way that we'll do that, let me give a little bit of instruction before uh, Ricky comes to play and before we, we come to this table. Um, we've just put the juice and, and the bread out here. You spend as much time as you need uh, there in the pew and just examine your heart, looking back, looking in, looking forward. And then when you're ready, uh, you can come and you can partake of the Lord's Supper. And we'll play and then at the end, we'll just uh, have a song together. And kind of singing a hymn before we go. So really simple. Uh, there's four different stations, two in the end and two in the middle. And the last time that worked out really well. There wasn't a, a backlog, but this is your time. To, in your mind, in your heart, to look back, to look in, to look forward. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the hope that is Christ Jesus. And Father, this morning as we come to this table... Father, I pray that we do so with such seriousness and that, Father, we take seriously what you have called for us to be mindful of. That, Father, that we do go back to a time that seemed hopeless for the Jewish people. They were in total captivity and yet you promised a Redeemer. And you began to show us that this one would give us the ability to have life forever, Father, that the death angel would pass over us. And, Father, you fulfilled that in Christ Jesus. So, Father, we thank you that we can look back. And, Father, today, help us to take, a whether it's a few seconds or a moment, to, to look in. and Father, just to confess to you things in our lives that you bring by your Spirit to our mind. And Father, will you you help us to leave here today with a full expectation? We don't know what all the dots are going to look like, but Father, you've already told us how to connect that last dot, that one day there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb, and you will be at the table. Father, work in our hearts and our minds this morning as we come before you. And we pray this in the hope of Christ. Amen.
Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.